0: Take your Bibles and open, first of all, to a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 in the Old Testament. That's not our text, but I want to sort of set the stage for our text. I was reading recently, and I came across this verse, and you know, the Lord has expanded our ministry, and a few years back when we we moved into working in the Middle East, North Africa, into the 1040 window, the restricted access area uh, part of the world, and Uh, ministering with Muslims. What a joy this has been for Debbie and I to to be working in this part of the world, in the Middle East and across North Africa. Uh, It has been a great blessing and a great encouragement. And I would say in the last four years for us, it has been the most exciting part of our ministry Uh, And so we're seeing the Lord do some wonderful things in in the hearts and lives of people all over the world. We're seeing some wonderful things happening across Europe, Uh, very encouraged with what we're seeing the Lord do in in Europe. We just opened three new countries in in, in Europe this last year, but we are especially encouraged at how we see the Lord moving in the hearts and lives of people across the MENA region. And as, as we have worked in this region, and, and, and I came across Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 1, the Lord so impressed my heart with this verse because it sort of sums up what we see across the world, but especially in the Middle East and North Africa. Listen to what it says, Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 1. Solomon says, so I returned and I considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And as we daily see the news, as we daily read and hear about what is happening in this part of the world, we see the great oppression in this part of the world, the oppression of of ISIS, of radical Islam. Uh, So the verse says, "I, I considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed. And then very sad words. And they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power. But they had no comforter. And I thought that so sums up the world today that is without Christ. But it especially sums up this new region of the world that Debbie and I minister in as we look at people who are oppressed and they have no comforter. But then we come to the rest of the Word of God and especially the New Testament and we read there of how that Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit Or can be a comforter to those that are lost. He can be and he will be a comforter to those that turn to him in salvation, in faith. You don't have to turn there, but I read now from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. And it says this. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. Grace first, always, and then comes Peace. And from the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. There is a comforter for those that have no comforter. Verse 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are, Are comforted of God. Now turn with me to the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 46. And we want to think about this thought today as we focus our hearts and our minds on taking the glory and the gospel of Christ to the nations. Psalms chapter 46. And we'll be looking at all 11 verses as we think about God who is our refuge and strength. Let's just pray and ask God in the next few moments, and ask the Holy Spirit to focus our hearts and minds on the passage today. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that every time we join together as the body of Christ, that the Scripture says, you are here with us. And we pray that you would take your Holy Spirit today, dear Holy Spirit work in our hearts, encourage our hearts, challenge our hearts today. And Father, may we take this most precious gift of salvation and this precious gift of the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ and may we be passionate about sharing it with a a lost world. May we be passionate about sharing your glory with the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first of all this morning, I want us to think about this as we read this passage. Number one, first of all, our security is in God, not in this world. Our security is in God, not in this world. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength. We have this most precious gift that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with a swelling thereof. And then this very important short word, salah. And when you're Normally, when you read scripture, you don't read that word salah. You just it's an instruction that we're given, and then you 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 pause for a moment and you carry on. And I, I became very interested what, what it really is the meaning, the root of that word salah. And I began to do some research in it, and it actually has three meanings. It means to do this: it means to pause, don't read verse four. Pause. Stop right there. Pause. It means to secondly, weigh what you have read in the balance. Meditate on what you've just read. In other words, the Lord is saying to us, I have just given you something very precious for you to pause and understand and meditate on. And thirdly, it means this. Then after we've done this, then we raise our hearts to God and we praise him for what he's shared with us. And I thought, you know, it's a, it's a lot like an experience that we had many times over in England Uh, We often had guests that would come and visit us, and of course, everybody would want to go to London. And so we would show them the sights of London, and one of the places we always take guests to is Herod's Department Store, the greatest department store in the world. And I would tell them, now, we're going to have a special experience in Herod's Department Store, and they have all of these different rooms and areas, and they have one hall uh, downstairs, they have all these different halls for food, and one one hall is for uh, fruits and vegetables, and it's like a palace of fruits and vegetables. And then you go to the next one, it's, it's the meat and the fish. And then you go into the next grand hall with all of these fountains and chandeliers, and it's the, the pastries and the cakes. And I would tell them, now we're going to go into the, 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 the hall where the confectionaries are, and we're going to go to the Godiva chocolate counter. And we're going to buy Godiva chocolates. And uh, at that time, they were a pound apiece with the exchange rate that was $2 apiece. And I said, now let me explain to you how you eat a Godiva chocolate. It is Salah. What you do, because they're $2 apiece, you don't just pop that chocolate in your mouth, eat it and swallow it, not think about what's happening. You take your time. You bite off half of that Godiva chocolate, just half of it. And then you Salah you pause and you think about what's going on inside of your head. You meditate on that. You weigh it in the balance and you enjoy it. Then you praise God for that Godiva chocolate (laughs) and then you can swallow. Now you can have your second half of your Godiva chocolate. So from now on, anytime you read this word Salah in scripture, I want you to remember Godiva chocolates. (laughs) That'll help you remember what Salah means. So the Lord says after verse 3, I've shared something crucial and critical and important with you and I want you to pause. I want you to meditate and I want you to praise me for what I've just shared with you. So what's he shared with us in verses 1 through 3? He says to us, God is our refuge. Those that are without God do not have this comforter. They do not have this refuge. They do not have this strength. We are a blessed people. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Our security is in God, not in the things of this world, my friend. A while back, Debbie and I We're in the Middle East. We were at a high security conference dealing with evangelism in the Middle East. And I sat at a table with a young girl, 29-year-old, beautiful young Arab, uh, single young lady named Amina. That wasn't her real name. Many times in the Middle East, North Africa, in the restricted access when someone comes to Christ, they adopt a new name so that they cannot be traced. And I said, Amina, tell me about your ministry. I shared a little of, with the men yesterday at the prayer breakfast about this. And she said, well, I disciple. I, I work with Sat7, a satellite ministry. I disciple people. And she said, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the more dangerous things that you can do in evangelism in, in uh, the Mina region. But she said, that's what I believe God has called me to do. And she went on to describe that ministry. And I said, you know, uh, Amina, I've heard... Uh, some very interesting stories and read some very interesting stories about how the Lord is working in the hearts and lives lives of Muslim people in very unusual, miraculous ways. Have you personally ever experienced anything like that? And she paused for a moment. She was quiet and you could tell that she really was not very uh, ready to start sharing about something so very personal. But finally she said, yes, I have. And she went on to explain share with us several incidents that had happened to her. And she said one day I came back to my apartment and, and first of all by the way there is a fatwa out for her death because she does this kind of work uh, a contract out on her life because she does discipleship and she said I came back to my apartment I sat down on the sofa she said I was not asleep she said but I was resting and she said I had a vision and a, a man in glowing white came to me And he said, I want you, it was very specific, I want you to take 11 Bibles, your Bible and 10 more to give away uh, from Algeria where you're living into this other country, this other limited access country. And she said, I said to him, Lord, I cannot do that for if I do and I'm caught with these Bibles with a fatwa against me, I will be put to death. Now, I thought and the other men at the table thought that she said she would receive a fine. We all understood her to say a fine. And I came back to it a moment later and I said, Amina, I said, what did you say? Did you say a fine? What was the fine? She said, no, I I didn't say I would be fined. She said, I said I would be put to death. And she said, I prayed about this and I prayed three months. And she said, at the end of the three months, she said, I decided I would fast ten days And make a decision about what I would do. She said, I told no one about this vision that i would had, this dream that i would had. Said two days into the the fast, she said, a lady from our church came to me and she had a new pair of shoes. And she said, "I, I brought you a pair of shoes for your journey. She said, now I had not told anybody that I needed a pair of shoes, but I had been praying and asking Jesus to give me a new pair of shoes. She said, I'm not going on a journey. And the lady said, yes, you are. And she said, no, I'm not going on a journey. And she said, you must obey God and go on the journey. She said, three days later into the fast, another lady in the church came up to her with a new suitcase. And she said, I brought you a suitcase for your journey. She said, "I'm, I'm not going on a journey. And the lady said, yes, you are. She said, you need to obey God and go on the journey. So she said, I decided to go. I packed up the Ten Bibles to give away and my Bible, I wrapped them, I put them in my suitcase and I prayed. I said, Lord, you will have to be my refuge and my strength. I trust in you alone to protect me and go with me and guide me on this journey. So she said, I got on the plane. I, I uh, disembarked off of the plane in, in this new country that I was going into. She said, everybody was, was uh, led into an inspection hall, a customs hall, and it was lined with all of these stainless steel tables with men checking everyone's luggage. And she said, they motioned to me to come up to the table. It was my turn. I approached the table and, they, and the, she said, the security guard looked at me, the customs agent looked at me and said, Open your suitcase. She said, I opened my suitcase, and when I laid it open, she said, all 11 Bibles slid out onto the table. She said, The guard looked down at the Bibles, and then he looked back at me and looked me right in the eye. She said, He reached over sideways without taking his eyes off of my eyes, and he picked up the first Bible. And he put it back in the suitcase. The second Bible, the third Bible, the tenth Bible, the eleventh Bible. She said, then he reached down and very slowly took the suitcase and closed it and latched it. He said, he never took his eyes off of my eyes. And he said, now you can go. She said, only God could have done that for me. And over and over as we interact with people in the Middle East, we find this same story. And and as she finished that story, similar stories like this that we hear, she looked at me and she said this. She said, and she wasn't rebuking me, but it was a rebuke. She said, David, Jesus gave his life. For us. Should we not be willing to give our life for Jesus? It was like somebody had stuck a knife of conviction in my heart. And I said, absolutely, Amina. Every child of God should be willing to give their life, their life's blood for Jesus. But you see, she understood these verses that we're reading. That God is our security. And we're not going to find that security in this world. She understood Salah. To stop and pause and praise God. And she was willing to take the gospel to the nations at any cost. And I had to ask myself, am I willing to take the gospel to the nations at any cost. I often say to Debbie, Debbie usually travels with me, but not always. And I come back from a trip and I'll say, Debbie, I'm not worthy to sit at a table and break bread with these courageous champions of the gospel that take the gospel to the hard places of the world, the difficult places of the world. God is our security It's not this world. Secondly, this in verses 4 through 7. God is with us. Listen to what it says. There is a river and the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. The city of Jerusalem. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. The heathens raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Salah. Don't move on. A second time he says to us in this passage, I have just shared something very, very special, very precious with you. Pause, meditate, and praise me for what I've just shared with you. I am with you. In the midst of the valley, in the midst of the challenge, God says to us, I'm going to walk with you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to be your help. In Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, listen to what it says. I love this passage. I love the book of Isaiah. There's so much there. But Isaiah 41 and verse 10 says this, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God says, "I'm going to reach out and I'm going to be your help. I'm going to take my right hand and I'm going to be there with you." And then, if we read just a few verses over in chapter 42, in verse eight, it says this. Verse six, it says this. I, the Lord, have called thee. I've called you. I've called you in salvation, and I've called you to service. I the Lord have called thee in righteousness. And, and I'm always amazed when I read this. And you read this phrase several times in Isaiah. And I will hold thy hand and keep thee. And give thee for a covenant of the people. For a light of the Gentiles. To open blind eyes. To bring out the prisoners from the prison. And them that sat in darkness out of the prison house. And it amazes me that the Lord says that he knows me, and he loves me, and he cares for me, and he's with me. But he also says, I'm going to hold your hand as we walk this journey together. A righteous, holy God is going to hold our hand, and he's going to walk this journey of faith together with us. And he expects us to share that gospel to those that are in the prison house of sin and darkness, to share the story, the glory of Jesus Christ with the nations. Thirdly, in our passage in Psalm chapter 46, this, our God will be exalted among the nations. That's your theme for this conference. His glory to the nations. And he tells us in these last few verses, 8 through 11, he will be exalted among the nations. It will happen. Listen to what it says. Come before, come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease. You know, we still have ongoing wars around the world today, don't we? In Libya, there's this great war going on, and we're trying to get people, uh, workers, missionaries, into Libya. Very difficult, very dangerous place. We recently uh, met with Greg Livingstone, who is one of the great pioneer missions of Muslim evangelism, and he's written a book, uh, Church Planting in Muslim Cities. And Greg Livingstone said this to our group that we're meeting. He said, Uh, this war in Libya one day will come to an end because do you understand all wars someday come to an end? And he said, you've got to ask yourself, will ABWE be poised on the borders of Libya, ready to go into Libya with the gospel? The scripture says, he maketh, verse 9, he maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow. And cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Verse 10. Be still. That's very hard for us to do. Be still. Rest in in Christ. Find your rest and your peace in Christ. Be still and know that I am God. Here it is. I will be exalted among the heathens. I will be exalted in all the earth. It's sort of like, you know, if you're reading a very interesting book and you think, I'd love to go to the last chapter and see how this is going to end. But I don't want to spoil the story by going and reading the last chapter, right? But we know what the end of the story is. He says to us, I will be victorious in all the earth a day will come when every knee shall bow. But he says, my friend, my children, I want to use you in that process. I want you to take the gospel to the nations that I might be exalted in all the earth. Debbie and I loved our ministry in England. We get back at least once or twice a year to England and when we go into a new city to do church planning or church restoration, we always do about six months of, of, of investigation, of praying, of preparation. When we went to Quedgeley Gloucester to plant a new church, just outside the large city of Gloucester, we visited every church in town so that we understood what was the Methodist church doing and what was the Church of England doing and all the various churches in the town. What was the charismatic church doing? So we understood And uh, we visited the Church of England church, beautiful Quedgeley Church of England church, beautiful historic stone building, walked in, quintessentially English uh, stained glass windows, pipe organ. It would seat probably 200, 250 people. Beautiful inside. We sat down. The service began, and uh, uh, we've been to many Church of England services. It's our state church, our government authorized church, and and. I've never been in a service, now I know there are some in in some Church of England, but most of the Church of England services I've been in did not last, the message did not last more than five minutes. That's the average length of the sermon, Brother Sam. I don't know if you could hit that target or not. (laughs) We usually can't give an introduction in five minutes, you know, but much less the body and the conclusion, you know. So, Brother Sam said he can do it in ten, but... uh, so we had the message, and as part of the message, the the, the vicar said this. Reverend Strickland, he said this. He said, uh, he said, I was down in Gloucester in the city center yesterday. He said maybe some of you were down in the city center yesterday for this parade, an annual parade that we have. And he said the different people were, you know, the parade started and people were coming by. And he said I, I, I noticed that. Uh, There were families in in the booths, you know, the stalls were selling fish and chips. And he said, I noticed some of the young families, they'd get fish and chips with their children. and, And they came and he said, they sat down in the gutter and started eating their food. He said, common people, common people, eating their food in the gutter. Now what he was saying, they sat on the curb of the side of the street to watch the parade go by. But he said, they're sitting in the gutter to eat their food. Common people. He said, oh, we shouldn't be like that. He said, and as I was watching the people eat their fish and chips in the gutter, he said, this common people, he said, I could hear him coming. He said, I could hear him before I could see him. So he had all these different organizations that were in the parade. He said, Roland Parker... I could hear Roland Parker's voice coming. And he was calling out. He's a well-known Gloucester street preacher. He's a charismatic church. And he said, I could hear him calling out the name of Jesus as he came down the road. And I said, oh, this is terrible. What a terrible thing. Calling out the name of Jesus in the street with common people. He said, this is a awful thing he said you know we love Jesus here at our church but we know that Jesus needs to be kept inside the four walls of the church we don't take our precious holy Lord Jesus out into the street with common people he said Jesus is meant to be kept inside the beautiful four walls of our church he said now Maybe we should be more like Roland Parker. Maybe we should take Jesus. I'm not sure. Maybe we should take Jesus outside the church. But he leaned forward and he got a little quiet and he said this. But you know, and I know, that's never going to happen. We're not going to take our precious Lord Jesus outside the four walls of this beautiful church. My friend, my challenge to you today is this. We have a responsibility. We have a commission. We have a call to take Jesus to the nations. To take Jesus, the compassionate shepherd, out to a lost people who need Christ. Are you, as a ministry, going to continue doing that here at West Park? Are you going to facilitate others if you can't go by by praying and by giving and are you going to if you can go are you going to give and are you going to send to this local community to your J- Jerusalem to your Judea and to your Samaria is this church going to continue taking the gospel of Jesus Christ out to the nations you've got a great history This church has been a great lighthouse of the gospel. I commend you for this. And I encourage you to continue the good work of sharing Christ with the nations. To share Christ with those who have no comforter. To share with them that there is a God of refuge and strength and forgiveness and peace that they can turn to and understand this wonderful gift that you have received, are you willing to share it with others?